0: Hey, gang, pardon the interruption, or should I say the inter Oh, that didn't even work well at all. That was awful. But you know what's not awful? Six Degrees of Cats. And season two of the podcast has launched on all podcast platforms. Episodes are released twice monthly for each nine-episode season. Nine episodes because cats have nine lives. You love that logic there. To find Six Degrees of Cats on Substack and social media, you can visit linktree slash Six Degrees of Cats. And if you have used Linktree before, you might know it's linktr.ee backslash Six Degrees of Cats. Or follow Six Degrees of Cats, that's the number six not spelled out, on Instagram and TikTok. Oh, I'd say that was a perfect introduction to the show. And now let's get to the introduction of this show Good People, Cool Things. Have you ever discovered a new song through social media? Maybe someone posted a reel or TikTok about their favorite German restaurant and threw a catchy pop song on there. Perhaps someone shared an article on the best karaoke songs to do, no matter your skill level. Or you may have even realized your pal plays in a band. Let's call them, oh, I don't know, Burning Years. And they came out with some new music this year, and you should totally check it out on any platform you listen to music. The point is, social media can be a powerful tool for musicians, and Josh Simons has seen the power it can have. He co founded Vamper, the world's largest and most active social media network, specifically for musicians. Think LinkedIn, but without all of the 5,000 word essays about how getting their shoes dirty while crossing the street one time made them into the gritty business person they are today. Josh knows what musicians want because he's had plenty of experience being one. He's spent more than a decade as an artist, songwriter, and producer, touring and working with folks like Carrie Underwood, Troy Sivan, and Travis Scott. Today, Josh heads the recently launched Vinyl Group. We're talking about that new venture, the power of horizontal networking, and Josh's worst gig as a touring musician. I'm Joey Held, this is Good People Cool Things, and here's my conversation with Josh Simons. Well, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on?
1: Well, it's a gold elevator um, because we love got a good gold elevator. Um, <laughs> but uh, my elevator pitch, I mean, well, we, we're now a part of a broader group of companies. So I started with a company called Bamper, and we launched that in the, in the States in 2015, which doesn't sound like that long ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago. And that really existed just to in the early days, connect bass players with drummers and singers and producers and, yeah, you know, kind of like a Tinder for musos. But it, it grew over time into more of a platform and um, had more utility and we started getting into distribution and education and publishing and rights management. So it grew over time. Um, and then we sold that in uh, June to a company called Jaxter, which is the world's only sort of official music credits database. And metadata sits behind music and everything we ever consume or listen to. There's a, you know, there's all the people that work or sit behind that and that's captured in metadata. So it's a bit of a mess at the moment, but in a perfect world, that would be all very organized and it would, it, when it's right, that's when songwriters get paid. So Jaxt has a very specific function in the industry. And now we've got vinyl.com, which is an e-com platform that's sort of a vinyl head stream Digi- we call Digital Crate Digging, um, and that's pretty new. We only launched that a few months ago, but it's doing great. Um, so I'm sure from someone on the outside looking in, they go, well, how do those three things connect together? But the metadata piece is actually the thing that sort of ties it all together. Um, so the viral.com store is powered by our incredibly rich and vast 360 million-odd credits that we have, um, that we use that to power the discovery functionality. And on the Vampa side, obviously, credits form a part of someone's uh, CV or resume. So we've added that into Vampa. So yeah, that, that, they're all sort of tied together, but it's it's hard to explain. We actually announced about a week or two ago that we're going to rebrand the whole thing as Vinyl Group. Um, and we've got a cool new website that kind of visualizes how everything comes together and that, that should be launching in the next month after shareholders vote to hopefully approve it in the end of the month.
0: I like it. Now, you said that metadata is kind of a mess, um, which I would agree with as someone who has both recorded music and has multiple podcasts over the years. I know I certainly have not been, uh, especially in the early days, as coherent with um, both labeling things, but also just having proper metadata. So how have you kind of gone through that? Like, I assume a lot of the folks you work with probably are not metadata experts, uh, or a lot of the musicians, um, at least. So, so what does that process kind of look like?
1: Yeah, and so I was an artist first, which um, I know people aren't watching this, but um, you can see on my wall if you were, there's lots of guitars and discs and <laughs> But I was an artist, but I ran my own label from a very young age. Like, I think I started my first label when I was 19 or 20. So I had a decent grasp on metadata from the outset because you had to be organized with ISRC codes and UPCs when you're going between distributors and self-releasing and all that stuff. So I don't, it's it's, it's funny because on the one hand, I've sort of got that indie musician's experience behind me, which is great for the business. But on the other hand, I don't quite understand how some people can be quite so sloppy. And so I had to go back. I had to really like, I had to meet with a lot of musicians and speak to them about the challenges and And really the question to understand wasn't why is the individual sloppy, but where are the, where are the pain points? Like why, why is it so challenging for quite a lot of people? It turns out to um, stay on top of it. Um, And, and it's as much me being educated by them as us then working out how can we create products to educate them back? So um, yeah, broadly speaking, I don't think metadata is all that complex if you can get your head around it. The problem is, is getting everyone's head around
0: it. Perhaps this segues nicely into getting your head around metadata, obviously a good opportunity for for a newer musician or, or someone that's trying to to get to that next level. What are some other opportunities that are out there for musicians that you think maybe not enough are trying or, or they well, could be doing better with?
1: You know, if there was anything good to come out of COVID, it's that it really forced creators in particular to get... Um, crafty with ways to make money because otherwise they were, you know, shit out of luck. And there are, you know, obviously NFTs had a little moment in the sun there and I don't think that they're done forever, but there are lots of ways to make money online, Patreons, um, you know, Twitch sort of platforms, things like that. Um, Music hasn't like quite found its perfect niche yet, I think, for that. But I think there's so many startups working on this that it's really only a matter of time. I would argue that we're working on that too, actually. There are lots of ways for musicians to make money now um, that didn't exist even five years ago. Um, So, you know, historically, obviously, the ones that everyone knows and thinks about is live touring. That's very expensive for anyone who's not a solo artist with a minimal setup. I mean, as soon as you're talking about a band and you start to think about your, you know, monitor engineer and then the front of house engineer and then the lighting person and then you're probably have one roadie and maybe a guitar tech and and i'm not even talking about a big show i'm talking about a 300 person venue right touring so touring like the one that everyone goes oh that's how you can make money but it's just not the case for small mid sized artists you really have to be quite well known and famous for the margins to start to make any sense um and, and, and well the, the, geographically speaking that's you know, you can certainly jump in a van and go across Europe or go across America, but you've got to be in those locations and that's not the vast majority of the world. So um touring's expensive is the, the short story there. And yeah, with streaming now and and which is the main obviously source of uh, recorded music consumption. Um streaming is not the easiest way to make a living either because you're 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 the pie that you're splitting of that revenue that's coming in each month is being split increasingly more and more as more songs get uploaded to, I think it's a hundred thousand songs a day now, something ridiculous. That's about how much credits we ingest. So, um, it's, uh, it's really, really tough. So you have to look to these other creative ways. And then that's why, you know, platforms like Bandcamp are really important because you can sort of sell directly to your super fan and control your margins a little bit better. And, mm-hmm. um, so there, there are lots of ways for musicians to get paid and, and not all of them, are strictly tied to metadata, although I would suggest that your chances of getting paid go up exponentially when you do get that right.
0: One of the other uh, concepts that I saw on, on, I can't remember if it was on the Vamper site or on on one of your own sites, but this concept of horizontal networking. Can you just talk a little bit more about the idea behind that and, and how musicians can take advantage of it?
1: Sure. So I think what happens when a lot of young artists start, and I was the same, is you hear that your best friend has a connection to, I don't know, Jay-Z or something or Jay-Z's manager even, and you go, well, I've got to be in touch with Jay-Z's manager. And so you make it all about making that one connection and you spend an exponential amount of energy and time on just connecting with that person, trying to get that one meeting. And if you get that one meeting, my life's going to change. Of course, then that's vertical networking. And that means sort of like trying to climb the ladder by going up, 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 up. I can. I'm not going to name names, but I, I'm talking about famous people. But I've seen it work probably once in the last five years where someone knew someone famous, and then they. And because I lived in Los Angeles for ten years, I like I literally like watched it with my eyes because I was in the room. So I've seen it work once. I'll tell you what I see a lot more of in those rooms with people like Kanye West and stuff like that is a, a group of guys. Usually, if you're a you know a girl group, it'd be. Probably a group of girls, but it doesn't really matter. Point is, what I've seen a few times is groups of people that grew up together rising together, and it's like um, I've seen it a couple of times, but it happens all the time. It happens every day. Um, you think about like Ariana Grande; still, her main producer on most of her records is, is Tommy Brown, and, and and they grew up together. They were childhood friends. Um, you look at the people that um, Kanye has on the production of most of his albums. Noah, Anthony kilhoff uh, Mike Dean—all these guys have worked together through the years and, and risen together. So the, the point is, is like the people who generally make it are the ones who invest in the relationships and the people around them, um, rather than investing all their energy into relationships that they don't actually have. And so you invest in the people around you, and it's the expression "a rising tide lifts all boats," or whatever the expression. I think that's it. Yeah, um, that sounds right. <laughs> so. Fun. It only really takes one person in the group to, to succeed. And then if everyone sort of has this loyalty pact, um, it's a far more efficient way to guarantee yourself success or also what actually ends up, I'm oversimplifying it, but what ends up happening is one person gets a little break over here and then another person gets a break over there. But again, if you treat each other well, and there's sort of a, we're all in this together and there's a common commonality to that typically speaking, you'll benefit from each other's success. And so it's just, it's kind of like a life hack to make it in creative industry. And double down on your relationships that you already have.
0: I lived in l a for a couple of years, and there were definitely some people who did what you were saying of like the good elements of that of like, hey, you know you're you're cool, like we'll you know we'll build off each other creatively, however, And then there'd be other people who are like, "Hey, I'd say this is more probably for uh, movie folk than musicians, but they'd be like, "Hey, you know, do you have an in in the movie industry?" And I'm like, I don't i I don't work in it and don't really know people in it. And they're just like, oh, okay. And would like go away. No interest in, in I mean, any kind of relationship. I remember like
1: whenever I'd get in an Uber in LA, the first question is, do you work in the biz? And I was always so happy to be able to go, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And they go, well, what do you? Well, wow. Okay. So what do you do here? I'm, like, I'm in tech, music tech. And you're like, oh, cool. So you're not interested in reading my script? No, no, no. No. <laughs> Do not give the slightest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just have a stack on the front seat. That they're,
1: Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I literally had many times, I'm sure you did too, like Uber drivers giving you their card and stuff. It's like, we're never going to do anything with this. Huh. Good for you for trying.
0: Yes, I, I thankfully lived in LA, I'd say, uh, right at the beginning. I was there in 2010 and 2011, primarily, <laughs> um, and a little bit into 2012, so. Thankfully, wasn't quite overrun to that level. I think yeah. I was still mostly taking cabs and it was pre-Uber. it's pre-Uber yeah. I think Uber <laughs> was
1: 2013 when it really like took off.
0: Yeah, but my sister's still out there, so every once in a while when I visit, I okay. will, I will get things like that. Apparently, I think on Uber too. My I have an old like Facebook profile um, where I'm riding a fake horse at the Kentucky Derby, and multiple people have asked me if I'm like a cowboy and I, I ride horses all the time. And I'm like, I think it's obvious that horses is fake. Like
1: to add to that life hack. It's treat people well, invest in the people who are already around you. But if there's one other little
0: bit that you can add to that,
1: which is time and gain. So if you stick with it long enough um, and assuming that while you're sticking with it, you're improving in whatever competency it is, whether it's songwriting or singing or uh, playing bass or whatever the hell your competency is, Assuming you're getting better during that time. Time and gain plus investing in people around you. That's almost a short path to a balanced version of success. I mean, success is so um, you yeah, know, relative to everyone, but um I think most people probably arrive at a similar definition of success, which is being able to pay the bills, um, living life as stress free as
0: possible and doing the thing you love doing. I know this is audio only, but we'll get a nice uh, we'll get a nice screenshot in before the end of this episode to get all of your accolades on the wall behind you and i see at least two it looks like two guitars on the wall if not oh yes we've got several yes over there what's what are all the uh this is great for an audio podcast but what, yeah I mean, you're is,
1: really killing it today
0: yeah <laughs> that acoustic guitar seems to have quite a bit of writing on it is that uh, autographs or are there like full lines of things no
1: we did this um we did this tour for an album oh. I, I made with my i was in a band like a millennium ago and um the, the album was called pressure and empty space and the visuals for the album were all kind of off-white. Everything was kind of sparse because it was quite, you know, it's like an emotional record of blah, blah, blah. So we got to the sort of start of the tour and all the instruments were painted off-white and it looked really cool and clean, but it was like, it just really lacked a little bit of edge. So one of the crew members had the idea of why don't we every night ask some audience members to sign the guitar after the show. So by the end of the tour, the guitars just covered in scribbles. And then... In our subsequent tour, which was very colorful and almost the complete inverse of that one, um, rather than paint the guitar and start from scratch, we just we did some spray paint and crayon stuff on top of the signatures. So the guitar just evolves over the tours, but I haven't played it in like seven years. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it's very good wall art. I yes. Like I like, I like it. it. And very impressed that I it made it back every time. Were you passing it out like during... The set, or would it be like a no, before was, or after?
1: So, like after the show, and whoever was sticking okay. around to buy merch would, would come up and we'd, we'd give them. Well, usually they wanted us to sign something, but we would say sign our stuff instead. It was very nice. loved. And then, um, and then it's funny you mentioned not seeing it coming back because at the final day of that tour, I think it was about the time that I moved to LA. And so it went off into a storage unit and I didn't see it for seven or eight years. And, um, in fact, it wasn't until quite recently that I actually unpacked it, and it was still in one piece. So
0: yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. probably a good sigh of relief. Now you've been on quite a few tours, on you know played played a lot of shows over the year. You had, it, do I have this right that your last tour was opening for Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood?
1: That's right. So yeah.
0: I'm I'm sure pretty big crowds that you're seeing on here. And I always love to ask musicians this: What's your worst gig?
1: The worst gig ever was my first gig ever. Um, <laughs> my first electric gig. Because so we done some, we did some acoustic showcases, and the showcases went so well that record labels were like, "Yeah, the hottest new band. We're going to sign them." Then one of our songs got added to radio rotation. It was all happening, literally. Sony, Universal throwing offers at us, and then because things were moving so fast, we got asked to do a show with. Do you know who Kimbra is? Do you remember Kimbra? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So we did a show with Kimbra. That was our first ever full electric show with a full band and backing tracks. And just about everything that could have gone wrong, went wrong. Um, And I cracked the shits and stormed off stage. That was my worst. (laughs) And the lesson that is, if the industry wants to know all about you and catch you and watch your shows, don't invite them to your first show. Invite them to the second or the third one. The second show was fantastic, but that first show was a disaster.
0: I'm picturing that. Have you seen the movie, That Thing You Do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where it's their their first like kind of big share. Yeah, like things are falling over. Like the mics aren't plugged in. Yeah, very- that? That's exactly
1: right. what. it Yeah, it, <laughs> it almost couldn't have gotten worse. But um, you know, we learned a lot from that too. So, I don't know. Everything
0: happens for a reason. Yeah, it seems like you. Uh, you had a pretty, pretty solid uh, run of success after that.
1: Yeah, I mean to be honest, like <laughs> the the R rated version is that it took about. Three years and a lot of working on ourselves as a group of people to make sure that we had common, a common goal. Um, Myself probably working on temper tantrums and learning not to drink before going on stage. And <laughs> There's a whole lot of things that had to happen, but we really went back into that position of power and control for some years after that. So we joke about it now, but it, screwing up that show was quite detrimental to the pace at which we, we were blowing up. It didn't ultimately change much, but it probably slowed things down for a year or two.
0: A question I always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. So what inspires you to do what you do?
1: I love when people, um, I love being able to talk about this, but when I started Vampa, the sincere goal was we just wanted to change one. It sounds naff, but we just wanted to change one person's life that would have been worth the blood, sweat and tears of the first year at least since then we've raised a pile power money and now there's commercial goals, but like the initial goal was, was quite literally like we can make a sort of MVP product that can help connect some musicians around the world. And they go on to make some money together or even just go on to have fun together. I've had a positive impact on someone's life. Like that's, that inspires me. Um, and it will feel like mission accomplished. Now we've done that millions and millions and millions of times around the world. So, I feed off that. That keeps me going and inspires me and inspires me to make better platforms and better products. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I used to be inspired by just music and then maybe more broadly art, but now I just find everything in the world just watching people communicate, um, especially in times that are kind of fucked up like they are at the moment and so much chaos in the world just watching people come together to make shit happen, which is the whole essence of what we do at our company. That's inspiring to me. All
0: right, um, Josh, you're off the hook here. All right. But we always like to wrap up with a top three. Yeah. And for you, we have your top three Beatles songs. I don't know. Have you heard the new one now and then?
1: I love it. And I know some people that even one of my friends, I had lunch with a friend yesterday who I really respect his taste in music and he hated it. And he said, oh, it's bad, isn't it? I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, it's not bad. I, I really genuinely liked it. But if he hears me saying it's great today, if he listens to this podcast, he'll give me some shit. But no, I really, <laughs> I thought it was very emotional. I thought the video clip was um, beautiful by Peter Jackson. Um, and I know some people go, why did they have to do anything? They could have just left you know, left their legacy alone. And that's always going to, you know, there'll always be someone who says that. Uh, I'm always a fan of you know pushing technology to its limits. So um obviously I work in tech. But uh <laughs> I I just think it was a beautiful if that is if that's the last thing we ever get from the Beatles, it was a lovely way to, to end
0: it. So yeah, I'm a big fan of the new It's the clearest I've ever heard heard John's vocals before. And
1: I know, because it's mixed like a modern song. It's 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 yeah. mixed. Yeah. Oh, we could talk about this house. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's not in my top three though. By far my first is something, um, which is a George song. Um and uh his songs are always pretty cool. My second one is Let It Be. Um that was a song that I played at my grandma's funeral on a church organ when I was about ten. Well, I can't remember actually how it doesn't matter how old I was, but I was young and it just had a lasting impact on me. And it's in the key of C, so it's very easy to play. It's all white notes. Um
0: <laughs> and- That's about <laughs> as, as competent as I am on a piano. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and then probably I was trying to think about that because I think I might choose four. All right, so the, 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 long, the long and winding road is probably number three, and then get back is um, another favorite too.
0: So yeah, did you did you enjoy get back more after the documentary? Yes, and I had
1: that... it I had it in my head for like five months I'd be walking down the street. You're back. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
0: It's just like man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that documentary was fantastic. And I'm glad that it came out during the holiday season. I actually had the time to take off work to get through it because it was long. He got the briefs and then he's like, we should give it the Lord of the Rings treatment. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That that one made me think too of, it's not the same thing, but the things that came out during COVID where it was like, like the last dance was like one example of that where it's like it got bumped up because it's like, we need something. We need some sort of sports. And I was just thinking, like, man, if that came out any other time, like, would that have had, and I, I did, mean, to, to a lesser extent, like Tiger King, which I never watched, but like, that yeah. was a cultural phenomenon because, again, like, we're all at home with nothing to do. Yeah. Like, just great timing, great timing. Yeah. There were a few nice,
1: nice, okay byproducts of the pandemic that brought us together as a, like, as humanity remotely. It's really strange. Like, like you're saying, like, we were all at home watching the same series at the same time. There's not many other things in the world that would really force people to do that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be fascinating to see how the world feels. I mean, obviously, people died. That was a huge tragedy, and 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 because I think goes without saying that, you know, whatever we can do, and we did whatever. I mean, the vaccines were developed very quickly. Broadly, people took them. Obviously, there was a small group of people that didn't. Like, we did our part, right? But I'd be fascinating to see how historians look back on that period of, you know, were the, what were the net
0: positives of that time? Um, so I think there'll be more than a few. Josh, you are officially off the hook. Thank you all for right. taking the time to chat. If people want to learn more about you, about all the different things that you're doing, where can they find you? Yes, yeah, So people can catch um, everything we're doing at vinyl.group. Fantastic. Well, Josh, thank you again for taking the time to chat. This was wonderful. And I, i i feel like i need to like get some more guitar art cuz that's a, a great wall you got there do it the hooks
1: from the hooks were from amazon and they're about 5 dollars each so oh
0: anyone, amazing anyone can do it amazing of course we got to end with a joke as we always do you know everyone told beethoven he'd never be a mu- musician because he was deaf but did he even listen to them Nah. oh uh, no